right, Derek Day, welcome to the Religionless Podcast. How are you tonight, sir? Man, I'm doing excellent. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored that you are uh, joining us for the podcast. Um, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. Have a, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Derek, we were just talking before we started recording here. Uh, we've been Facebook friends for something like a decade now. That's um, about right. And, yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure the genesis of the relationship, but uh, it happened somewhere. I do know the first time we met in person, I want to say I was speaking at a Bible college in um, in, in Phoenix. Phoenix. Yep. Yep. And that, that itself had to have been about seven or eight years ago. Yep. And um, I remember you were there at the night session. And yep. uh, yeah, that was the first time we, we connected in person. And that was also just little bit of trivia. That was the first ever, that was my first experience with being blacklisted by a religious organization was oh, uh, after having spoken at that particular institution. I found out some months later when they wouldn't return my calls about coming back and teaching again, that I had wound up uh, being blacklisted somehow. So that was my first experience with that. Uh, so that was crap. fun. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't either. It was one of those things where they're like, "Well, we'd love to have you back. It was so great. Everyone enjoyed it. No signs of any trouble." And then every time I would call, well, there were no calls returned. And later, a good minister friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, who moved in that same, he he spoke with that in you know some of those same mm-hmm. in that same circle. Let's say, uh, said, "Oh yeah, uh, I heard what happened. You were blacklisted. Apparently, um, you're." audio got to the wrong person and uh it was not approved um and he later himself was blacklisted as well so i guess that was just the name of the game around there yeah Uh, (laughs) but hey that's the way the religion game goes i suppose isn't it um but that (laughs) but that was the first time we met in person and we've been friends on social media for a long time and um i love what you're doing i love your heart um i've kind of just from a distance and you know you lose track of people over time you know people algorithms drive people towards you for certain seasons and then you don't see them for others but uh you know i know you as we all have been um you've been on a a journey um just with god and everything and you know all kinds of stuff has happened um from when we first met uh from when we first connected to when we met in person to where we are now and um you know i'm honored to have you here with us tonight to uh just kind of Walk us through your story. And um, before we really get into it, I guess we should give a quick intro. You are a former pastor, correct? That's correct. Okay, so former pastor, author of Deconstructing Religion, yep. uh, blogger, podcaster. And what's the name of your podcast, Derek? Uh, well, I'm involved with two podcasts. Uh, the, the big okay. one is the Heretic Happy Hour, uh, which yes. I, I share co-hosting duties with uh, with Katie Valentine, Keith Giles, and Matthew DiStefano. And, and that's absolutely awesome. <laughs> and then uh, mm-hmm. and then I'm also I also have my own podcast, which is called Love Forward. Awesome. Awesome. And you've you've come on board at the Heretic Happy Hour um, within the has it been the last like two months or so? Yep. Or has it? Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool, man. Really, really cool. Um, so yeah, you got a lot of stuff going on. Um, your book, uh, fantastic, great reviews on Amazon. Um, so yeah. Um, but I kind of want to hear the story, um, that is that, that the book represents and, uh, just how you basically what we do on this podcast is we talk about a person's journey into religion through religion and what life looks like for them on the other 
side of it. So, man, if we just can jump right into it, I want to give you um, give you some freedom and liberty here just to kind of walk us through your own story and, okay. um, and, and how you got to where you are. And we'll converse along the way, man. So. Now take, I have to I have to ask and, an all important yeah. question. I probably should ask this before you start rolling the the recording. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it, you know I cuss a little. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. Okay, all right. I, I just we'll put, make... we'll, yeah. I'm sure my mom will be listening. So mom, I just apologize ahead of time if there's anything. You may just want to sit this one out. We already had you know we've had <laughs> we've had Matt and Matthew Destefano on. So if oh, they can boy. get through okay. that. They'll get, yeah, yeah. You, you're so you're fine, man. You're fine. <laughs> you know, on the Heretic Happy Hour, we have a, a, our producer uh, Raphael. He um, he has a bell that he rings whenever either whenever yeah. someone uses profanity, <laughs> and uh, and so so there's sort of like a running joke where Matt and I uh, see who rings the bell the most during during each episode. So. <laughs> well, he he needed some competition, so I'm glad you're there to help him out with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he uh, he jokes me. He says, "Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not going to have anybody come on my show and and out cuss me." <laughs> so you know, I've always I've tried to get good at swearing, but it just always sounds unnatural when it's coming out of my mouth, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was such a goody goody like uh, fundamentalist boy growing up that when yeah. I try to do it. It just never. I, I'm like, I just can't ever nail it. I just can't ever nail well, it. Know, I just got to give up on here's that the dream. Thing. Maybe <laughs> you you, you got to go back and revisit it. And I'm not telling. I'm not trying to encourage you mm-hmm. to do something that's not in you. But um, yeah. uh, last year, about a year ago, Kyle Butler, Aaron Abke, and myself, we did a podcast uh, called mm-hmm. "Cussing, Cursing, and Swearing." Why they're not yeah. the same thing, and so we're always taught that that, that those are you know interchangeable terms. But in reality, uh, according to the Bible. Only swearing and cursing are prohibited. There, there is no strict, mm. no, no exact prohibition on uh, on cussing yeah. per se. Yeah. So, um, in, anyway, like the the journey is is really this, and I, you and I have something else in common. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but we're both Michiganders. You know, I grew up mm. in Detroit, and. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, being, uh, you know, inner city youth and uh, being raised by a single parent, um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of opportunity to get in trouble. And so I mm-hmm. did. And, and so my mom reached out to my dad, who at the time was living in Burnsville, Minnesota. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and he said she she uh, she went to my dad and said, hey, you know, uh, I need you to, you know, kind of pick up the slack here. And so my, my brother and sister and I, we went to, uh, to Minnesota and spent the summer. And so at the end of our stay, my dad extended the offer to any or all of us if we wanted to stay up there. Well, I was the only one that took him up on the offer. But what I found was this was a huge culture shock because Detroit, where I grew up, predominantly black, right? Burnsville, mm-hmm. Minnesota, predominantly white, or at least it was at that time. And yeah. And and so I was one of five black kids in Burnsville High School, but mm. I, I made friends fast. I'm I'm a, I'm a pretty outgoing and gregarious kind of guy, and so one of one of my friends came to me that I played football with. He says, "Hey, you want to learn how to ski?" I'm like, "Hell yeah!" You know, because mm-hmm. I tried skiing before, went up to Mount Holly. I know you know where that is, right? Um, mm-hmm. Outside mm-hmm. of Detroit. So, yep. and, and, you know, crashed and burned hor- horrifically, but, uh, <laughs> went to, uh, to Minnesota and, and was, and started learning to ski with a group of kids that called themselves sun summit. And I thought it was hmm. S U N summit, but I later found out that it was actually S O N summit. Anyway, okay. 
they shared this unconditional love with me. This, this, this really mm-hmm. overwhelming, encompassing, and and all um, engrossing love. And so uh, I quote unquote got saved, and while I was in Minnesota, and then uh, and then shortly after that, I um, my dad and I fell out, and I went back to Detroit. And got with all of my friends and everybody's like, oh, so we hear you're a Bible thumper now. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and it says, so you're going to stop smoking weed. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll stop smoking weed. And said, what about, what about drinking? You're going to stop drinking? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess I can do that too. You know, because my, my, my downfall in life has always been the three W's, you know, weed, whiskey, and women. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, so then when they got to the, to the, to the third W, the women, it says, Oh, you're going to stop, you know, you, you know, cause I was, I was a notorious skirt chaser in high school. And so they were like, Hey, you know, you're going to stop chasing girls. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> and, and so that, that, that kind of, uh, led me down a path of quote unquote backsliding until, yeah. um, I, you know, I joined the Navy when it when I was in the Navy for seven years and uh, and got out and um, you know went back to school and you know did all of that stuff and got married and um, and then my wife got cancer and and so while she was battling cancer I was um, I was also a um, a radio talk show host and a newspaper columnist and so I was speaking at an event and after I got finished speaking I I literally heard what I still believe to this day to have been God speaking to me, just like Jeff is speaking to me. I heard this voice and and the voice uh, said, share my gospel. Hmm. Okay. So it was like, you know, you know, okay, God, uh, you know, I, I hear you, but uh, you know, I'm not really ready for that. And, and so God kept on, you know, kept on dealing with me, dealing with me, so on and so forth. Or that's that's how I how I how I saw it at the time. Sure. And uh, then my wife died in '94. You know, and um, and and that was the first time that I really understood God as a real thing and not an abstract concept. Because if there was no God, I would have died. That's yeah. you know, just I would have died right along with her. Um, but but for for some reason I was you know I was you know kept up you know that that the right people showed up in my life to shore things up and 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 I and I moved on, um, and so um, it was like right around um, two thousand, you know, or say like nineteen ninety nine, um, that I got pretty serious about studying the Bible. And, and then I had this moment in, in 2000 where everything was going well, you know, nobody was dying. Nobody was sick. I wasn't broke. Uh, I wasn't, um, I wasn't out of a job. Everything was going right. Life was hitting on all eight cylinders. Hmm. And, and I said, okay, I woke up. It was a Saturday morning in August, um, uh, of 2000 and, I, and I'm laying in my bed and I wake up and I look up and I say, okay, God, whatever it is that you're going to have me to do, I'll just go ahead and do it. And so that, that began this, this journey. And, um, you know, not long, not long after that, I, I, I began to, um, you know, fall into this groove of, you know, being in ministry, uh, actually, um, 
you know, doing ministerial things, doing speaking and, and, uh, and different areas of service. And, and so I started off with a very legalistic <laughs> church mm-hmm. in Detroit. And, and then once I found out that uh, we that don't was, have any of those around here, man. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and after, after, um, you know, this, these guys, I mean, they were all, they were into the whole Jack Van Empey thing, you know, which was just, mm. um, which was nuts. Um, yeah. and then we left, um, uh, you know, my, my wife now, my wife and I, we got married. This is like, um, 2003, you know, we got married in 2003 and 04, we left Detroit and we went to Arkansas. Um, we, we, um, went to, um, uh, Springdale, Arkansas, and I was, um, working for a, um, a major food producer there. And so there I got involved with, with a apostolic slash word of faith church. And we were with them, uh, for four years until we got the, the left foot of fellowship. And, and then Mm -hmm. at that point I, um, I helped one of, one of the, um, other, assistant pastors from that church um, because I was an associate pastor there also uh, I helped him plant a church um, and then we left there and we went to Texas and um, and we planted a church there uh, which was not successful but the, you know I believe that the Texas was just sort of a, uh, a pass through anyway um, and then we got here to Arizona well the long and short of it is is that over the last 15 years, I've really been trying to um, mine this um, this vein of God's unconditional love and unlimited grace. That was where where I had been, but in the process of getting there, a lot of deconstruction happened, and 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 I began to reverse engineer what I had read and studied in Scripture. And I came to a conclusion. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> it's all bullshit. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everything that we've been taught yeah. is, is, is all, you know, it's fodder. And, mm-hmm. and so what, what I, what I found was, is that if we begin with a premise and in first John, John writes that God is love. So if we if we begin with that premise and begin to work backward from that, reverse engineer that, and and the best case study for re- reverse engineering that is the person of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And so so then I was like, okay, I was teaching then that scripture can only make sense when it's seen through the lens of Jesus. Well, that made sense to me at the time, mm-hmm. and and so I went back and 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 I said. Okay, I'm gonna find Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus, like you know the the old um, the old saying. Have you found the the evangelical saying? Have you found Jesus? You know, yeah. I don't know. Is he under the desk? Is he behind the curtains? You know. And I, I'm looking for Jesus everywhere. And so I was finding him, but that was because I was playing this um, this exegetical game of connect the dots. Yeah. And, and when you, and when you do that, you know, you can pretty much find whatever you want. And, but, but what I, what I found was, is that the, the God that Jesus spoke of could not possibly have been the God of the old Testament. Couldn't be the same person. 
I mean, you'd have to uh, jump through a, a huge number of, um, you know, hermeneutical hoops mm-hmm. to try to make that work. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, what, what I, what I found was, is that, um, you know, things like, like, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I think that it's in, um, I think it's in first Kings, uh, you know, where, where basically, um, the, the prophet tells Saul to go out and kill the Amalekites and he says, don't spare any of them. And he gives some specific instructions, even up until, cutting babies out of the wombs of the women. Yeah. That's, that's abortion. I don't care how you slice that. So I'm like, okay, you know, so, so I'm like, where's God? Where's the same God that, uh, that, that, uh, or the, the God that Jesus represented the, 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 the God that was with Jesus when, when I had my quote unquote born, born again experience, where was, where was God in that? I mean, because that's not love. Mm-hmm. And, and by, by modern standards that, you know, w- w- everybody's got to be pro-life in order to be a Christian. I'm like, well, wait a second. <laughs> right. That doesn't, that, you know, that doesn't connect. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, I, I went through this, this whole process. So when I started writing the book, Deconstructing Religion, and I, and I finished that in 2016, it, it took me three years to write that book. And, um, and by the time I had finished it, I was really way past that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Theologically. And and so, so now, um, I'm at the point where, uh, you know, I went from, from being evangelical that, uh, you must be born again. You know, you have to confess your sins and all of that in order to be saved. I went from that to being, well, I was a hopeful inclusionist to where I hope that everyone is saved because God is love. And, and he, it, you know, I would just hope that he would save everyone. And then I went from that to being basically a universalist where, uh, yeah, everybody has to be saved. It, it just has yeah. to be. And then I went from that to, well, we didn't need to be saved in the first place. There was nothing wrong with us from the beginning. And that's yeah. where I, that's pretty much where I am now. Yeah, those things fall pretty fast, don't they? Like when you yep. when you pull that one initial Jenga block out, and really, I think it's mm, it, once once your foundation becomes God is love, and you really like a heat seeking missile, just become fixated on that target and going for that one thing. So much falls so fast, and as you said, it's like you write a whole book, and you're like, okay, I mean, a whole book. This has to this sums up where I'm at. By the time you put the last period on the last sentence, you're light years beyond it. Because once you fix on the concept of God is love, stuff happens fast. Stuff yep. that is revolutionary to you one week will be old hat within a month because it just stuff just falls fast when you when you when you fixate on the concept of the love of God. And um, I mean, things penal substitution. I mean, you know, all this stuff that used to be mm, like my bread and butter stuff that I talked about all the time, you know, penal yep. substitution, eternal conscious torment, all those things. So those were really the mainstays. You could always talk about those and be yep. relevant and you can still always be talking about those and be relevant to someone. But it's like even those concepts today, which seem so huge and monumental, I, it's almost, mm, I hate to say it, but it's almost boring to talk about, you know, <laughs> because yeah. 
because um it, it, and I don't mean by saying that I don't mean we can't talk about those things tonight but it's almost I don't know the the concept of God as love takes you so far so fast and so much falls and I was pastoring I had I was a pastor for about 12 years and it was about year oh boy I don't even know three or four where I really started take no it was earlier than that it had to have been time time doesn't mean anything to me anymore. But early on, I really, really, really began to, it was about the time I had kids. I really began to just take seriously that very same concept of God is love. And, and things just fell apart on me. Things I was obligated to believe, things I was obligated to teach and preach, things that, you know, my credentials hinged upon me believing this. I mean, it was a matter of weeks and it was all gone. You know, one real experience with the concept of God as love. And it, it just, it all fell apart, you know, and yeah. it's, so I hear in your own words, you know, my own story even. And I guess, you know, I have to ask then, um, because you were pastoring as mm-hmm. a lot of this was going on. Right. So yeah. how did, how did that, I mean, because I know how it affected me, and I also know that at the time that I was going through the things that I was going through, I had nobody to talk to about it. Like I, it, the support groups that exist today and, you know, on social media, even in the form of podcasts like this one and Heretic Happy Hour and others, mm-hmm. those things didn't really exist. And it was the loneliest and really most hellish experience. Uh, it was it was beautiful in one hand because there was a great internal revolution and reformation happening inside of me but there was there was just no one i could really talk to about it it was very lonely very um it was very lonely so i'm curious you know what did that look like for you um going through this experience of you know quote unquote deconstruction or whatever we want to call it um all while you know leading a congregation leading a faith community and kind of being the figurehead for it in a sense you know how, how did that work for you well, you know, I'm blessed because I had I had a lot of a lot of friends, um, mm. you know, that were in ministry, and and I have some some friends. I have two really good friends that we disagree on almost everything theologically. Yeah, but they love me, and and so they they place our relationship above our theology. And yeah. and so I'm really grateful for that because, you know, they, they were sounding boards. Um, but then I also started making new friends and, mm-hmm. and, and some of these, some of these people, there were some people like, like one of the things that I, I, I deeply regret in this conversation, the context of this conversation is that you and I didn't talk more. I mean, there were times when we private message each other about different things, but it, you know, right. um, I, I, I really wish that, um, you know, that we had spent more time talking because I, I look at, at your trajectory and it, and it very closely parallels mine. But but yeah. there were there were others like, um, you know, Phil Drysdale, for example, you know, Phil came out of the mm. Bethel machine and and um, yeah. and and went, you know, kind of went into a different um, into a different realm. And and so so Phil and I stayed connected o- over the years. And and so he was a, a wonderful sounding board. And uh, and then I met people like Kyle Butler and and like Matthew DiStefano and uh, and, and mm-hmm. Keith Giles. 
and 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 these guys just really kind of embraced me and 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 really kind of helped um you know what the the encouragement that uh that they all gave me was that okay we don't all have to agree on everything but yeah that if if your journey uh feels good to you and you're and you're not doing anything to hurt anyone uh, then you're probably on the right path because that's, yeah. you know, to me, I look at love and it's most elemental components as being empathy and compassion. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if, if I see, if I look at someone, I have empathy, I'm looking at it through their eyes. I'm walking a mile in their footsteps and I'm concerned about, uh, you know, what their approach to this is. And then compassion just simply says, you know, Hey, I really give a fuck. I care, you know, yeah about right. what it is that they're going through. So um, when, when I began to see it through, through that lens, it, it was, a, it was a more practical application uh, of love. And, and the one thing is, is that when you do have true empathy and compassion, you're going to go out of your way, not to hurt or offend anyone. I mean, you're, you're going to make proactive strides to not right. do that. And you will also make proactive strides to bless those are in your sphere of influence. So you're speaking well of, you're encouraging, you're equipping, you're exhorting, you're edifying, right? Uh, you're, 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 you're giving of yourself. And so what I learned is, is that as long as I stay in that groove, that um you know i'm i'm going to say some things that are going to offend the religious sensibilities of some but the the intent is never to hurt individuals it, course, it's yeah. like people to me are sacrosanct i don't care whether i like them or not whether i agree with them or not whether we walk in the same circles or not i don't care about that but as far as systems go i will tear every system down if it means that that one person walks in freedom as a result of it, yeah. So so that's that's kind of um, where I am, and so I, I consider myself blessed because I had some people. But then you know the the interesting thing is is that um, a, a couple of things happen. One is that a lot of people who I who I thought were my friends turned out to not be my friends. A lot of the the, the quote-unquote grace movement, I'm on the record as saying that, that basically the grace movement is complete bullshit. And, and the reason why I say that is, you know, they, they talk about freedom, they talk about liberty, and they talk about not, not having anything to do with religion, but it's basically religion with a candy-coated shell. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. the same old song and dance, just with, with, a, different, with, with a different facade. And, and, yep. and when I realized that I'm like, okay, well, I, I really didn't lose anything. Um, but then, um, I had a very unique experience as a pastor because I was a, I, I am a black man and, mm-hmm. and I pastored a predominantly white church. You know, my congregation was, was, I mean, uh, black folks were the minority, you know, basically it was my family and two other families. But, you know, the, the rest of the families in the church, they were, you know, they were, they were whiter. And I think we had one Latino family and that was it. Um, and one of, one of the, there were a couple of things. One was that there were things that I was expected to say that I no longer really believed. 
And, and so I, I had to really take stock of myself to make sure that I wasn't being a hypocrite. That was one thing. Yeah. And then again, uh, being a, the pastor of a predominantly white church, I also pastored a predominantly Trump supporting church. Hmm. And, and I really, I don't get the whole Trump phenomenon as far as Christians go. I, I mm-hmm. don't, I, that, that, that really, um, and, and I'm, I'm an engineer by profession. So I like to find out why things work the way they do. And, and I can't make sense of this. I've deconstructed it, you know, reconstructed it and deconstructed and reconstructed it several times. And I, and I can't make it fit. I can't make it work. Hmm. So, yeah. um, so what happened was last year, I um, I spent a lot of time um, meditating, praying, if you will. I uh, spent a lot of time talking with my wife, um, even talking to my sons. Um, you know, three of my sons are adults legally, um, and and two are teenagers. And I and I asked them some very pointed questions, and then I asked some of my some of my pastor friends. And I one down in Fort Worth, Texas, he he's been preaching. Uh, he's all I think he just turned fifty this year. He pat he began pastoring his first church at nineteen, so he's been in it for a long time. And yeah. and I remember when I called him and I said, you know, I said I said, dude, I said I, I think I'm ready to quit. I think I'm ready to quit. And, and everybody else that I would talk to and, and I would share that with, they say, Oh no, Derek, you can't quit. You can't quit because of this reason, that reason. And, and this dude told me, he said, he said, you looking for me to tell you not to quit? No. Nah. <laughs> he said, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you. He said, go ahead and fucking quit. He said, he said, let it go. He said, because if, if this is where you are mentally, where you're questioning it, he said, you're not there. You're not there. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things, and I know you know this because as a, as a former pastor that when you went through this and I know you did that, that some, mm-hmm. you know, you, and, and you would say people, you would say, well, I'm thinking about quitting. And somebody said, Oh, Jeff, you can't quit. You can't quit. And, mm-hmm. and that, and that's what you typically get. But no, he was like, no, man, he's and and, and shortly after we had that conversation, he folded his church and now he runs a, a, a barbecue joint and he's killing it. You know, <laughs> he's doing, he's, he's, he's ministering in a different, in a whole different realm. And he still preaches yeah. like revivals and all of that. But, um, but basically he walked away from it. And, and, yeah. and so we made that decision and, um, and dude, I, that was, that was really the beginning of freedom for me hmm. because that, that meant I, I didn't have to uphold an image anymore. I didn't have to, oh, uh, I didn't have I to satisfy that. anybody's requirements or, or what they, what their, um, you know, what their opinion or what their expectation of me was. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I think it's, it having been a pastor, both of us, it's such a unique experience and it's something that, I mean, obviously, anyone who has not been one, it's obviously impossible for them to kind of understand that life and what it feels like and and, and what it is. But there is such, there is such an immense amount of pressure that comes along with that position. And I always envied the guys who could just kind of like, they were kind of happy go lucky about it and seemed to be able to just be normal humans while pastoring at the same time. I never mastered that art. I was always a, mm, I was 
I, I, I was a, I was a very, very pale reflection of who I actually was. I lost myself almost like in a role that I had to play that I forgot I was playing a role over a long period of time, you know, and it was like, um, I lost myself being a pastor. I lost the stuff that I actually enjoyed. I lost my actual like passions in life. And I just became pastor Jeff. Yeah. And, um, there was, so, there's just so much pressure that comes with it. And I have a personality type that when it meets that kind of pressure, it's just toxic. And, um, I became so performative and I didn't mean it. It was all done with the best of intentions, you know, but it was, um, uh, I, I became an image. I lost the truth of my being and I became an image and that image. So took me over that my wife even pretty much lost me and was left with the image because I was committed to the role. You know what I mean? It's like, I couldn't come out of character. Yeah. And, um, I, in, 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 when I started questioning and, and really digging deep, I mean, it was like my identity started to even come unraveled because my identity was so wrapped up in this role of pastor Jeff that, um, man, it's just one of those things that I don't think people can quite appreciate how intense that wrestling match is that goes on when, when pastors are struggling with their faith. And I think that's why so many never, well, they never really see it through because not many have people they can go to and talk to about it. One of my great passions is to eventually at some point create some kind of uh, network for specifically for pastors who are just questioning and don't know where they're at, you know, yep. heavily vetted, and uh, where pastors can just be real human beings and be real people. Well, that, that's something, um, you know, you and I can work on together because um, one one of the things yeah. that I'm really passionate about, right? Um, I read a statistic. It was a, it was a, um, a Barner, Barna study that said that 75% of senior pastors say that they had no close friends. 75%. Yeah, I believe it. And, and then there was like between, uh, 2015 or 2014 and 2016, there was a rash of pastor suicides. I mean, it was like, it was like almost one a month. It was, it was, it was insane. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I said, you know, somewhere, somebody's just got to have somebody that they can pick up the phone and call and just, and just scream at. And and so I've always made myself available to my pastor friends they said, listen, you know, you're going through some stuff because I, I've, I've, I've had friends that have called me They say, hey, you know, I've had an indiscretion or, you know, somebody saw me mm-hmm. in a bar or, um, you know, I, I did, you know, I, I did something that was unethical at work or, you know, all of these different things. And 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 my thing was, OK, I wanted to be a safe place that people could come and and share their issues without without judgment. And and so, I, yeah. you know, I'm. I, man, I'm completely a hundred percent down for that because, um, yeah, I really believe that that's a thing that's needed in, in pastoral mm-hmm. communities, because one of the things is, you know, you get this, the what, what I call the fishbowl effect, right. That you're living yep. in a, in a glass where everyone is looking at you and all of that. Uh, I used to coach youth sports and, um, and I would, and, and sometimes I would have to deal with coaches who their coaching was, was unethical. And, and, I, and I would see them do things or spur their kids on to do, to do unethical things. And, 
and I would get hot and bothered by that, and you know, want want to um, you know yell and scream and all of that. And 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 so my my wife had this little uh, gesture that she did. She would like kind of uh, put her hand up to her neck like she was choking herself, but she was reminding me of the collar. Mm. You know, the clerk yeah. the the, the uh, clergy collar. <laughs> and, you know, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, hey, watch yourself, Bishop. Watch yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and I always had to do that. And then, uh, with, with my sons, um, one of the things that I was very careful not to do was to put them in the fishbowl. I said, listen, you guys live your life. You know, you like girls, you know, you you like sports, you know, all of that, you know, a couple, a couple of my, you know, a couple of my sons, they, you know, they, they, they smoke, they get high, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, I'm like, I'm not. You know, look, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging yeah. you, right? That's you know, you you have to you have to kind of find your own path in life. You know, my my job is to be a spirit guide and to give you the benefit of my experience. But you know, some I know some 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 pastors were like, man, you know, ain't you ain't you worried that you know somebody see your see you know sees your kid you know smoking or drinking you know? And I'm like, no, because if they come to me about about my child you know, then, you know, I will remind them that, hey, you're not providing for them. You're not putting food on their table. You're not taking care of them. So if you don't have any skin in the game, then basically you need to mind your business. You know, I don't. Right. And because I was never the meddling pastor, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. like people would do things or say things and I know what's going on. I'm, I'm you know, that that's my job. But but as far as like, you know, stepping in and trying to offer that correction, that, that mm-hmm. was never my bag. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. I'm with you hundred percent on that. And, um, you know, I guess one thing you said also, there was, so, there was so much in what you said that triggered so many thoughts that I wanted to explore a little bit more. But, um, the one thing you said is just, you know, that you've never felt more free or liberated than you do right now or something along those lines. Yeah having kind of left the confines of that particular system and not just the religious system, but even the, the office that that particular system had put you in. And I, I understand that as well, at least relative to my own experience. I mean, just down, I'll never forget the first Sunday that I was no longer a pastor. Yep. The, the first Sunday that I was no longer a pastor, this was, this was 2014 and I walked out my front door Sunday morning, the sun was shining, the birds were chirping, people were mowing their lawns. And I was like, I remember you posted that on Facebook. I remember (laughs) that. Yeah. I was like, holy crap. The world continues on as normal Uh between 10 and noon on Sundays. People are still people. There's people still out doing normal people things. And I'm not in church. And it was just, I'll never forget it. It was like the best feeling I've ever had. That was like one of the first Sundays I've ever not been in church. I had ever not been in church in my whole life. And I don't, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with being in church. I'm not ripping on any of that, but it was just, it was a symbol. It was symbolic of a deeper freedom. And that deeper freedom was just actually being able to embrace and become more of who I actually always had been that I had just suppressed and I had to put it down. And I was never the sort who was going to get up. I was always, I was 100% convinced of everything that I taught and lived. I was never a faker. 
I was never a liar. Even if there were some things I wasn't uh, all that sold on, I would sell myself on it before I would ever promote it because sure. I'm not going to lie. That's just not who I am. But things were, it, it had come to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore, you know, and I'll never forget just what the year after having stepped down, it was rough because pastoring was my career. I didn't do anything else outside of that. I'd been a full-time pastor since I was 21. So, you know, there were some struggles. There was all that, all that good stuff um, that goes along with that transition, but actually just being able to sink into my own identity and find my own voice and become who I actually was outside of the confines of a very well-meaning denomination um, and just actually become who Jeff Turner was and was supposed to be. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it was beautiful. And to some, I know to some looking in from the outside, it looked like exactly the opposite. And, you know, there's people when you would meet them, they'd be like, how are you doing? You're doing okay. And yep. you know what they mean by that is they're suggesting that you've backslidden somehow or whatever. And I'm like, I'm better than I've ever been in my life. And they kind of look at you like, okay, we'll play along. But it's like, no, you don't get it really, you know, and but it, it was such a freeing and liberating experience. And I, I'm reminded of the words of Thomas Altizer, and I think it comes from his book, The Gospel of Christian Atheism. And this is not an exact quote. In fact, it's probably a horrible butchering of the quote and the thought. But he basically talks about that the, the incarnation of God in Christ looks like, it looks like a downward movement. You have God becoming material, human, and not just human, but a human that can be crucified and spiked to a Roman execution device. And it looks like it's a downward move, but that downward move is actually a forward movement. In other words, the more God, the let's say, say, it, say it this way, the more God becomes, or the less that God is God, the more God God is. The more God becomes human, the more God is. So the more God just gets lost in being human the more he becomes God. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 2, that it's it's because he becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross, and doesn't mm -hmm. consider equality with God something to hold on to. It's for that reason that the Father gives him the name that's above every other name. So true godliness, for lack of a better term, is actually found in a person sinking into their true identity and becoming who they actually are, minus all of the religious constraints. Yep. And... Um, you know, so, so that's just such a beautiful thing, man. So I guess on that note, just maybe tell us, you know, where you are now and, and what's going on in your life now. What, you know, what are you thinking now and what are you believing now? Just yeah. whatever you feel comfortable with sharing. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, you know, here, here's the thing. You said something really key about the, you know, where the, basically in the person of Jesus, that's where humanity meets divinity. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I, when one of the things that, um, that happened like in the last two years is I began to, um, uh, disabuse myself of the concept of Jesus as savior. Hmm. Um, because, you know, people say, well, you know, Jesus was here on a rescue mission. He came to redeem the world from sin and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's the narrative. But is that really the story? Because when um, when Jesus came, uh, he only mentioned um, salvation or as a mission 
and, and and I believe that it was in the same uh, in the same uh, uh, context, but it's it's rendered um, different in Mark than it is in Luke, and and that's um, you know for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost, and that's the way it's rendered in in Mark and in Luke. It's for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and I was just having a discussion with a, with a friend of mine, one of my old Navy buddies, um, just before we um, started this. And, uh, and I was saying to him that the pronoun is incredibly important here because the pronoun is not they, them, those, who, whom. It's that. Hmm. The, the pronoun is impersonal. And and when you when you look at it in the Greek, I don't remember what the actual Greek word is, but the Greek is is actually rendered an improper or a impersonal pronoun. So what does that mean? Jesus wasn't coming to save people. People didn't need saving, because the reality is is that the the uh, the fall of man was only a fall in the in the eyes and the mind of man. As far as God was concerned, we had never change places but yeah. we misinterpreted that so what jesus came to seek and to save uh was to actually restore the mindset of man relative to his creator and that yeah. and that that re, that um relationship if you will or that that um uh, well i use relationship for lack of a better term um is oneness you know that that basically, I know that you're you're a husband and a father, and so you have a bunch of little Turners running around there, and uh, yeah, right. and and you know, so so your your kids are Turners, you know, just like you're yeah. you're a Turner because your dad was a Turner and your granddad was a Turner, and 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 so so basically, you only beget after your own kind. Yeah, that's that's just the way it is. So when God created man and created us in his image to look like him and his likeness to be like him, uh, basically what, what God did was created gods in three dimension. You know, mm -hmm. God, God, God's limit, uh, dimensional dimensions are unfathomable, but, mm -hmm. but man has three dimensions that they operate in four if you consider time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so basically we are, we are gods of this dimension. And, and, and so the same creative ability, you know, this is how you, you, you have a thought and then you begin to have a dream and then you begin to construct a plan and then you begin to speak it. And then you see it come to fruition. We're yeah. created to create. That's what, yeah. that's just like God did. So, so basically um, what, what I tell people, and this is, this is where I go full heretic on you. Is that is that bring it I, on, am, bring it on. I am I am God, like you are yeah. God. I, I have to be God because I came from God. If it, whatever 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 He is, I am, or whatever she is, I am. I, I can't be anything else because you can only be for what what you are begotten of. Yeah, you know. So um, so so basically, this is where I think humanity goes off the rails because. If I look at Jeff and say, Jeff, I see the God in you, which is essentially the word namaste, right? Yeah. I see the God in you. I see the light in you. I see life in you. 
then that means that I will love, honor, and respect you, right? And, and what is love, honor, and respect? Those are the root components of worship. So therefore, I am giving you worship. And, and uh, our friend Kyle Butler said this, he, which this was brilliant. He said that when God blessed humanity, that that word in the Hebrew literally means to bow down to and offer obeisance to. So, so God knelt down and worshiped his creation. And with and and what 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 was what was happening there was not God just worshiping us for the sake of worshiping us. It was to to show us what worship really looks like. Yeah. And and so to so ascribe it, worth to a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so to ascribe worth to. So if I'm if I worship you, mm-hmm. that means that whatever it is that I would do for God you know, quote unquote, living a life pleasing to God, I'm going to render that same thing to you. Hmm. And, and if we, if we each do that and we make a conscious effort to worship one another, we're not going to do one another harm. We're not going to try to take advantage of one another. We're not going to do violence against one another. We're not going to slander one another. Hmm. It's like, I see you as part of me and we are one with creation. See, and that's what Jesus actually came to show. And, and, and watch this first Jesus shows up and he says, my father, my father, my father. And the Pharisees lost their shit over this because they're like, Oh, you, you know, in, 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 in Jewish culture, to say my father as an adult was basically making yourself equal with your father. So for Jesus yeah. to say my father, he's saying, and that's why Paul was writing, he, Jesus thought it was not robbery to consider himself equal with the father. So, so watch this. Jesus is saying my father, my father, my father, and that's scandalous. And they're like, okay, we got to figure out a way to stop this guy. Because he's he's equating himself with God. What what is the next thing he's going to demand worship? Because that's how they were taught. See, religion teaches that worship is a one way thing, that we worship God, but it's really a bi directional thing. And 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 so so here Jesus says, "My Father," but that wasn't even the scandal of the gospel. The scandal of the gospel came when he said, "Our Father." Or your yeah. father. Yeah. See, now he's saying that you have this equality with God, that mm-hmm. you are worthy of worship. This is why when, when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, you got to catch this. This is God in human form, made of the dust of the earth, taking the water that he created to wash the feet that he created of the dirt that he created. In other words, here is God worshiping his creation. When, when you see this, it sits everything on its ear. So, so watch this religion teaches that worship is a one way street, 
because by doing that, they're able to control you yeah. and, 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 and force what your behavior is along this one-way trajectory. But if they, mm. if, if they ever reveal that it was truly bi-directional, then, then you would realize that you are worthy. Uh, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're quote-unquote saved, whether you quote-unquote confess your sins, whether you quote-unquote go to church, whether you quote-unquote read your Bible or any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. You're, you're worthy simply because you are God. You are, the, you, you are part of the eternal creation. And, and and here's the other thing I'm I'm gonna say this and shut up is that when you when you talk about hell as a construct in in creation God never discusses this with Adam surely if hell was an important thing he would have made it plain there it, surely if it was a thing he would have revealed it to Moses to 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 be re- re- recounted in the creation. Uh, story. Surely, if it was important, he would have said this to um, to Noah. Surely, if this was important, he would have said, even before Noah, he would have said this to Cain, that you're going to hell for killing your brother. Surely, he would have said it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He, surely, he would have said it to David, so Solomon, the prophets. Surely, somewhere, God would have said something about it, and he didn't. Yeah. So, so, so there, so this whole thing is that eternal conscious torment and penal substitutionary atonement, these things have to exist in order to give religion a reason for existing because they have to give you the path to, to, to first accept the atonement and then use that as your ticket, your golden ticket to avoid hell. But if, if you strip away all of that, and you see what Jesus would, you know, I wrote a column in my blog on Pathios, what Jesus really came to do. You know, he came to show us our, he came to show us the father or show us source. Then he came to show us our identity, who we were. And then he came to show us our divinity, what we are. Yeah. Because this is, this is why Jesus was able to say greater works than these shall you do. Because it's like you can't do greater works than Jesus, you know. And, and we, we talk about this that 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 uh, that the follow the, all the rest of us that came after Jesus that we only do things greater in number but not in magnitude. But Jesus didn't make yeah. that distinction. We just simply right. assume that because that that's the one that that fits our theological curve. But he never told us yeah. that, that that it would be greater in magnitude or greater in number. He never d- made that distinction. So if the only way that you could do something greater than he who called himself God is by realizing that you yourself are God, because if you don't embrace that, you the greater works are impossible. Yeah. Hmm. And that's, that's where, I, that's where I am right now. And, and, and all of yeah. this, basically, uh, I, I, I said this jokingly and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and, you know, some people might get mad, but, uh, the, the, the follow on to my book, Deconstructing Religion is going to be called, uh, fuck Christianity and, and, yeah. and, 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 and in parentheses and your religion too, because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm really at the, at the point where, um, you know, all of it is is just is nonsense. Listen, I can believe what I believe. 
and and you can believe what you believe. You're free to believe what you believe. You're a free moral agent, right? The 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 problem comes when you try to force your beliefs on me or I try to force my yeah. beliefs on you. Because see the the thing is that violates a basic tenet of humanity and that is my rights end where yours begin. Yeah. So much good stuff there, man. So much good stuff. Now, I, I'm, you know what? I'm going to say this. I love it. <laughs> I, I've, I've, my last book that I put out, which I would say my most recent, but it hasn't really been recent. It's been about four years now. But my last book, The Atheistic Theist, one of the main things. Great I book, try by to the way. Do, well, thank you. Thank you very much, man. One of the main things I try to do is, decon- is start with the concept of original sin, because original sin is where our problems start. Original sin is why hell exists, because there has to be punishment for something. Mm-hmm. So what is that something? It's this original sin. Atonement has to exist for something. What is what, do, what does it exist for? To atone for that original sin. So if you take away the concept of original sin, you take away the necessity for both hell and atonement. And so it's like we we build. I'm reminded of the woman at the well who who Jesus encounters, and she has she she's coming to fill her jar with water at an inopportune mm-hmm. time, and she encounters Jesus, and Jesus has this whole conversation with her about she's had five husbands, the guy she's with now isn't her husband, et cetera, et cetera. There's obviously a deeper spiritual thirst that this is kind of cover for, and all of the stuff. By the time we get to the end of their conversation, the woman does not leave with her water jar filled, symbolizing Jesus filling something in her that was lacking. She mm-hmm. leaves her water jar behind entirely. Yep. And to me, that says God satisfies the thirst that is in the human soul, not by satisfying the thirst, but by eliminating it. By yeah. revealing to us that the thing we thirst for doesn't exist and the place in us from which we think we thirst doesn't exist either. Like we build walls around empty space and it creates the illusion of a vessel that requires filling. But if you smash the vessel, then whatever you thought the vessel was containing just becomes a part of what you thought it needed to be filled by. It's like mm-hmm. if you blow a bubble, it looks like it's separate from everything else. But once the bubble pops, it becomes part of the thing you thought it was separate from. And yep. so it's like uh, original sin is exactly. us building. Yeah, it's us building walls around God and saying, OK, this is something that's devoid of God and we need to get what's outside of it into it. But what God does in Jesus is he comes and he's exactly what we are, mm-hmm. thus showing us you don't need to become something you're not. Because I am what you're trying to become, but I'm also exactly what you are. And in so doing, he smashes the vessel. And like you said, the controversy, yeah, I mean, calling Jesus, Jesus calling the father, his father. Yeah, that might, that may have, um, you know, raised the ire of some religious individuals. But the real controversy is when he turns it and he says, it's also your father. I'm thinking of John 20, where um, post-resurrection, Mary encounters Jesus in the garden and um, she goes to hold on to him, and he says, "Don't cling to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, and sisters as well, and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God mm-hmm. and your God. And yep. we're still clinging to Jesus. We want him. 
we we like the Jesus who doesn't mm, who doesn't extend that like call of it's your father as well that you're you're what I am in this world. We're comfortable with Jesus as God, yep. but we're not comfortable with the Jesus who takes our humanity up to his father and says, "Okay, in me now you can identify yourselves as being exactly what I am." And as you said, that's religion <laughs> That is the role of religion to keep yep. us in that spot where the father is Jesus father. It's Jesus God, but we're still kind of down here trying to just kind of make some kind of connection with him. So I don't know, maybe we, yeah, it's like Jesus, Jesus never intended for us to cling to him. He never intended for us to, yes. to do everything through him. And, and I got to yep. say this too, you brought up the woman at the well, because uh, you know, I got to bring up the social justice, Jesus. And, and, and mm. you know, the, the woman at the well was a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, so basically the, the, the first person that Jesus sent to preach, which basically yeah. saying the first person that he ordained was a woman yeah. who was from the, the, from a caste that was improper. So, so basically yeah. she, you know, when, when she went to the well, she was basically, uh, you know, she should have been drinking from the colored fountain, but she came to the white fountain, but instead yeah. she, she got, she got sent away with something, with something greater than what was at the yep. fountain and all, all together. So it's like, you know, yep. and the, and this full of, is full of all of that, that, um, you know, Jesus was absolutely positively concerned with people in, in their station in life. Yep. Totally, man. And I think that isn't, it, man, there's so much I want to just go on and preach about right now. Derek, you got me fired up, man. <laughs> I mean, you but know, like, like we, we just have to, we have to get together and do this again. That's all I, you know, Absolutely. We'll just have to do it again. But I, this has been on my heart for like the last, I mean, last half of last half a year, at least, is just the constraints and the control religion places on us to where we are these individuals in whom there is infinite potential in Christian terms, the hope of glorification, Christ in us, you know, yes. endless possibilities lives within us like there is limitless potential residing within us but it's all tamped down by religion and kept suppressed and we're not pursuing the actual whether it's you know a woman a person of color uh or 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 just a your average run-of-the-mill pastor who has you know uh, i don't know let's say aspirations and desires that go beyond what his denomination allows and all these things are just tamped down and pushed down inside of these individuals by these religious constraints. And so they never emerge. They never become who they are. They never become who they're actually, who they've been created to be. And they, they, they're not in control of their own lives. They're not creating their own destinies and creating the lives that they actually want to be living. They're living the life that religion tells them they should be living. And Mm -hmm. it's always bothered me that the fruit of the spirit is self-control. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control, which says to me that the spirit desires for us to be in control of our own lives. Exactly. You know, and, and, and we think, you know, uh, the life of a disciple is just bowing down and accepting whatever it is religion says we should be doing. But the fruit of the spirit is self-control. That means when the spirit is actually, you know, when we're moving with the spirit, we are controlling our own lives and we're in touch with that creative power that resides within us. As you were talking about, you know, that 
God doesn't want us just to like, as some lowly creature, bow down to him and and lick his boots. He wants us to actually be moving in this world as creators ourselves. Exactly. And it seems to me that that this is what it seems to me like right now when I'm my brothers and sisters and the let's say deconstruct deconstruction movement. It seems that so many of us are hung up on let's say maybe being angry at a past version of ourselves or maybe being angry at the institution we came from. And that's fine because that's part of the process. You have to go through that. Absolutely. And it might take you years to move past that. But I think there have to be voices saying exactly what you're saying is that, but there also comes a time where you, you know, you can hurl, you know, you can hurl insults at the institution you came from but there has to come a point where you yourself begin to create, where right. you rediscover who it is you are. It's up to us to create of, our own reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, frame, our, my, we frame our own world. And, yep. and, and the thing is, is that when you, when, you, when you walk away from all of this and you look and you say, like, I, the, I went through a stage, you know, basically deconstruction, de- deconstruction is just like grieving. You know, when someone dies, you go through almost the same steps. And so you, you know, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment and all of that. But, but, but the thing is that once you get to the point where you say, okay, this was really never in my control or actually it was in my control, but I, I didn't know better. You know, you, 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 you let go of the hatred that, or the anger that you have at yourself for having gone through that. And you realize, you say, yeah. okay, instead of being angry about going through this, I'm going to instead be grateful that I had this experience that allowed me to, to awaken, you know, yeah. Yeah. because it's like, you know, babies don't complain about coming through the birth canal. That's got to be painful. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it's certainly painful for the mother and the babies come out crying. So I figure it come, it's got to be kind of painful for them too. But, but you, you, you look at the experience and you say this, in, in order for me to get where I am, I had to go through what I went through. Yeah. And, and so, so I've learned not to, not to uh, be angry with the former version of myself and also the institutions that, uh, that may have harmed me. You know, it's like, okay, yep. yeah, you know, you did it. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that um, I, I know better and I've, I've moved on. Yeah. I was just having a conversation. I don't Do you know who, do you know Josh Tongle? You, yeah. 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 I just had a conversation with him earlier uh, today for a podcast and uh, we were talking about the past and, you know, where we'd come from. And, 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 and it just kind of came to me that like, you always hear people say, you can't change the past. You can only change the present and thereby, you know, create the future. But it's like, you know what? I question the validity of that statement. I think you can change the past. And I think you can change the past by accepting the fact that your past is what brought you to where you are. And if you accept where you are as being the most beautiful place you could possibly be, then a past that would have otherwise seemed, you know, maybe terrible, all of a sudden becomes a beautiful thing. And, and you actually are able to redeem it. And I, dude, I got to redeem your past. Yeah, go ahead. I got to share a story with you because like, like I said, I I grew up with, you know, with, with my dad wasn't present through my whole childhood. And, and one of, one of my father figures was my grandfather and my grandfather was, he was just a real son of a bitch. I mean, just, you know, he's really, um, and, and he was very hard on us. Right. 
And and mm-hmm. and you you'd have to understand like my my grandfather he was not an educated man but he's a very intelligent man, and and, yeah. and so he had some frustrations in his life that he had to vent out, um, but he used to love to argue that was his thing he lo- he loved to um, he loved to debate and and sometimes he would be mean you know uh, like you know he would. Um, you know, say things to me and my brother, like, you know, call us, you know, call us homosexuals or oh, it's all kinds of crazy uh-huh. stuff. Right. And, and so, yeah. so, um, I grew up hating my grandfather. I literally hated the man and, and I couldn't wait to get to a place where I really didn't have to deal with him anymore. And, and so, so, you know, I, I grew up, joined the Navy and all of that. And then, and, you know, I would come back home intermittently and, you know, and I'd visit with him because he's my grandfather. And then he'd start the arguing and all of that. And I'd leave and, and, it, and, you know, it's like leather, rinse and repeat. But then, um, in, in the last three years of his life, it, it was like, I had, I had moved back or, or I was, yeah, I moved back to Detroit and, um, and we're sitting and talking and he says to me, he says, you know what, man? He says, you know, I know that, um, that you don't like me. He said, I'm, he said, because, um, I said some things that were mean, that were hurtful. I, I said some things that, that, that really, you know, he says some, some of it was just me, you know, dealing with stuff I dealt with. He says, but he said, what I really did, I did this because, it, you know, and, and he, he kind of explained this in his own strange way that he did it out of love because he was like, you don't have, you didn't have a father growing up. And he said, and I wanted to make sure that you were mentally tough enough to deal with the world. He says, but I, he said, I want to stop and tell you that I love you and I'm proud of you. And when he told me that I, I broke down and I, I, I broke down and I cried and my grandfather hugged me for the very first time in my life. So wow. I was, oh boy, I think I was 30, 34 years old when that happened. Hmm. And, um, and after that, my grandfather and I had a wonderful, excuse me, relationship up until he died. And, and I'll never forget that when we, uh, we had his funeral <coughs> and they were getting ready to close the lid on the casket and I, and I went up to, I went up to the, you know, went up to the, uh, to the casket and, and I, and I put my hands on him and, um, uh, and I just started to cry. And, mm-hmm. and so everybody that knew me, they were like, it's so sad that, that Derek and my, they, everybody called my grandfather doc. They said, it's so sad that Derek and doc just never got it, got it together. It's so sad, you know, that, that, that he's got to, you know, that, that Derek's got to cry this out and he, and he can't really tell doc how he feels and all of that. And so, so afterward, somebody actually mentioned that at the, you know, where, where we had the, uh, the dinner afterward. And I explained to them, I said, no, I said, that's not what happened at all. I said, see, you guys only saw what you were privileged to see. I said, but three years ago, I said, Doc and I had a conversation and I recounted the conversation with them. And, and, and I said, you know, I said, for the first time in my life, I had the grandfather that I always wanted and I only got to have him for three years. I said, that's what I was crying about. It wasn't because we had any unresolved issues. What happened was, is that my grandfather (laughs) literally paid me reparations for what he had done. 
and and that it enabled me to move forward with with the rest of my life. He 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 gave me something that empowered me. Wow. And and so hmm. so yes, you know, you can redeem the past. You know, yeah. that that you know, there there are people I remember when I quote unquote went into ministry, I I felt like I had to go back and, you know, because I was just, I was really a, a, man, I was not a, I was not the nice guy, you know, right now. I mean, I was just really something else. And and so I had, I had done some things, you know, to, uh, to hurt people. uh, And, and, and so there were phone calls that I made. There were plane trips that I'm, that I had to make. I had to go and visit with people. You know, and, and and get in front of them and say, hey, listen, you know, that thing that I said, that thing that I did, you know, I'm sorry. Because I, I, I as somebody that, you know, that now is experiencing this fullness of Christ that I, that I thought I was experiencing at that time, I felt like I had to make amends. I had to make it right. And here's the thing that some of the people, matter of fact, the majority of the people that I went to and apologized to or that I tried to make restitutions to, they received it. There were a few that, that said, you know, something, you know, they, they told me I was number one, you know, with, you know, right. the, you know, the other finger. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so yeah. to anyone that's listening, I want to tell you that you are loved and you are valued. Don't ever lose sight of that. You are you are precious, not only in the sight of God, but you're the pre- you're precious in the sight of me and Jeff. And yeah. and that if um, if you have any questions or concerns, or if you need someone to talk to, or you need a, a sounding board, uh, you know, you can reach out to me on, on my website, which is www.derekday.com. If you click the link, mark contact, it'll present you with a form. You fill that form out with your, your name, your email address and what, and whatever it is that you want to say. And, um, and it'll send me an email. And whether you think that I'm um, the nicest guy you've ever heard of, or whether you think I'm the biggest dick you've ever listened to, uh, in either case, you know, I would love to hear from you and I will respond. Uh, you can also um, reach me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is Derek E Day. That's D E R R I C K E D A Y. You can also reach me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Derek Day Multimedia. And you can go to my YouTube channel, it's Derek Day, hundreds of videos, and you can, it, it chronicles my whole spiritual journey uh, from where I was to where I am. And it's, and, and it's a roller coaster ride. Um, hmm. Also, you can uh, please feel free to listen to, like, and subscribe uh, the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, uh, which you can find on iTunes and on Podbean. And, um, you know, give a shout out to my, my friends and um, co-hosts, uh, Katie Valentine, Keith Giles, and Matthew DiStefano. They are awesome, awesome folks. And um, support that podcast because it's awesome. Um, and, and it helps to strip away the veneer of religion. And then you can also check out my podcast, which is called Love Forward, which you can find it anywhere that you can find podcasts. iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, um, everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and last but not least, you can check out my blog. It's called love minus religion and it is on patheos.com. So it's patheos.com forward slash love minus religion. And it's awesome. Not just because I write it, but because it really is awesome. Hmm. Well, Derek, thank you so much, man. This has been an incredible conversation. I've enjoyed it. I hope everybody else enjoys it. Like even, 
a little bit as much as I enjoyed it because it was man, great, this was man. the bomb. This it really bomb. was, man. It really was, and we really got to do it again. So let's yep. let's let's do it again soon, okay, man? Um, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, please check out you know the podcast, Derek's website. Grab his book off Amazon. And uh, do you have a Patreon or anything like that to where people can support what you're doing? Or you know, I I do, um, but I haven't presented it yet. But you, if you go out to my website, um, eventually you'll see it out there. Um, and and also I'll, I'll be giving the Patreon information to my podcast as well. So okay. stay tuned. And we'll for put that. it and we'll put it in the show notes if we have it by then. Okay. So, okay. Again, awesome. Derek, thank you so much, man. It was a privilege My to have pleasure, you on. My pleasure, Jeff. Hey, love Fantastic you, brother. Fantastic conversation. Love you too, man. Thank you so much, man. All, All right. right. Thanks Peace. for listening, everybody. Peace. Peace.